0: Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts, or go to FailYourWay.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways, and not just on
1: Saturday.
0: Well, hey guys, it's Anna David here with After Party Pod. Hi, the podcast all about addiction and recovery and mental health. And God, today we get into an aspect of addiction and recovery that has been neglected thus far. And I'm talking love addiction and sex addiction. We do so much drug and alcohol talk and we don't, we don't talk about this enough. We really don't talk about gambling enough. I don't think we talk about debting enough either. I mean, these are all good goals for 2015 to be incorporated into the show. Um, Speaking of 2015, hey. Hi there. Welcome to this year. How is it going? Did you do um, resolutions? Did you have a good New Year's Eve or a bad New Year's Eve, or was it in between? I'll tell you, I was trying to figure out, you know, how do my sober New Year's Eves compared to my unsober New Year's Eves, thinking that of course I would tally them and I would realize that the sober ones were a billion times better. And I came to this disturbing conclusion, which is that I never really had a good New Year's Eve, (laughs) like ever. I'm not even kidding. I mean, some were not terrible, but but not good. And this one, it was great. So I want to say it was my best one ever, but that's also, as you know now, there wasn't a lot of competition, It was, but it was really, really nice. A couple friends and I went to Jeff Kober's house. Now he is a previous podcast guest. He was an early, early guest and he teaches Vedic meditation here in Los Angeles, which is the kind of meditation that I do. And he learned from Tom Knowles, who was my teacher, and he's the most wonderful guy. And so he does a thing at his house where there is a a puja ceremony. Go Google it if you don't know what it means because I can't describe it. And uh, so we went over there and you, you drink chai tea and he hands you this, uh, there's this blank sheet of paper and you have to make a list of 108 things you're grateful for. And 108 is a very significant number in the spiritual realm. And again, you'll have to Google that because I can't remember why it's significant. There were so many reasons having to do with planets and length from the earth and, and all sorts of stuff that sort of flitted in my ear and, and didn't didn't the brain didn't grab a hold of it in a way that it could be repeated. So anyway and it was interesting to make that list because I'm a semi regular gratitude list maker, but never have I made one that was that long. You know where 108 uh, is a long time, and, and so a lot of things to put on it. And so one of the things that I experienced and other people around me experienced was that you get to a certain number. You kind of power through, and then you're at 40. Oh, my God, I had 40 things I was grateful for. And then you're going, I don't have a 41st. I mean, there's no way that I'm going to come up with more. And then you think of something, and then that spurs other things, and then you're at 80 or whatever. And I made it. I made it, and uh, there were some pretty random things on it. And, th- and Jeff said before the ceremony that that was the whole point of the exercise, that you sort of you do it, you think you're at the end, and then you get in a flow. And much like we can get in a good flow in terms of our mental, in terms of the way we think, in terms of sobriety, in terms of so many things, it's a, it's a positive metaphor anyway, then you meditate from 1150 to 1210, And so that means at midnight, you hear all the fireworks and things going off. It's kind of great. And I was annoyed because I'm not a group meditator. So people wrestling around always drives me insane, which is not obviously the way you're supposed to feel. But I did something I've never done, which is that I was so annoyed by it, by a certain Person rustling around. That I opened my eyes so I could find the enemy and focus on and make sure it was who I thought it was. It wasn't actually who I thought it was. Uh, but what was interesting is that even though I did that, all my people around me came out of the meditation really tired and going like, "Ugh, I almost fell asleep. I just want to go to bed." And I was, it was like I had done ecstasy. I was so happy and laughy and energized. It was really weird. I don't know what the recommendation is here. If there's a moral to the story, I don't think there is. So let me move on to today's guest, uh, Ethelie Ann Vare, uh, one of the smartest women you're going to encounter, smart, funny, and, uh, is an expert on love and sex addiction, uh, having a self-taught expert, having, um, experienced, uh, the pain and suffering of being that way finding recovery and she has an amazing ability to sort of break it down for the layman or laywoman and 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 talk about it in a way that that has a lot of information but it also is anecdotal and so it's very very easy to relate to and it's done in a totally non-judgmental open way and so and she comes by this ability honestly she's been a successful writer for a long time she's published Ten or eleven books. We could not figure it out in this conversation, but so many that she doesn't actually know. She's written on CSI, VIP, um, VIP, VIP, whatever. God, you know what I mean. And she was an on-camera e e entertainment television person, and. Um, and was like a big rock reporter back in the day and, and did reviews for the Hollywood Reporter and the Times and L and all of this stuff. So that's who you're about to listen to. Uh, brace yourself, it's good. Uh, oh, she's also sober from drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, all that. But you know, that 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 kind of takes a that takes a back seat to the main topic of sex and love. So here you go, Ethelie Ann Vare. I first started
1: taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash oh my god I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it Hardy animal I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton I was on the as I call it the Autobahn to nowhere I'm very
0: lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad Okay, so we may, we may have just hired you
1: as a writer, which is an exciting <laughs> way to start a podcast. That's, that's what I do for a living, not to worry.
0: No, but I think that that's a great idea. So we were just talking about you doing an advice column,
1: which you do on your blog, and it's great. Thank you. When people ask questions, it gives me an opportunity. The nice thing about doing a column would be that people know they can send their questions there. Because I don't think they always know that they can send a question to affection deficit disorder. So, yeah, the thing is that it's, you know, I say it's advice to the the crazy love lord. (laughs) It's like, let's take your typical, I'm asking for relationship advice, and let's look not at the problem being him or the problem being the relationship let's look at perhaps the problem is you right and let's let, let's do a you know a fourth column right. on your question <laughs>
0: right right i mean i will say it is so hard to get people to ask questions i used to be on a television show that people watched and we would have to make up the questions
1: wow it's so hard
0: uh You know, we used to have, uh, you know, Jane Velez Mitchell answering questions
1: on the fix, and we couldn't get questions. Hard to get questions. Yeah. And yet I did that ask me anything thing on Jezebel. Jezebel. Yeah. And there were like 127 questions in the space of 30 minutes, and I couldn't possibly get to them all. So I think when the floodgates open, when people see that other people, and it's again that, Oh my God, I'm not alone thing. When other people are asking questions, you get so many like, Oh, me too, me too. And so they'll just come in a, in a deluge. So that was a live thing. Yes. What about doing a Twitter chat? Um, I'd be happy. I, I love talking about
0: this stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. And you're great at talking about it. So let's talk about the history of that. Um, so your topic is love addiction, right? And when did you first, uh, well, I mean, when did you first become aware of the fact that you were in fact a love addict? <laughs> well,
1: well, I think it was when you know I was banging this nineteen-year-old with zero sobriety on the bathroom floor of his recovery house, wow. um, and one of my friends said, "Why didn't you bring him home?" And I said, "You don't think I'm going to let him in my house, do you?" And she's like. Okay, you'll have sex with him, but you wouldn't let him know where you live. Are you beginning to see, and I'm going, huh? I'm sorry, what? Right. (laughs) But he's hot. Don't you understand? And I was just beginning to see that maybe I was insane. You know, that and maybe how long ago I was insane. this was uh, almost 20 years ago. Mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. probably close to 20 years ago. And right in that area, a therapist, at, at, well, let me see, after I um, ended my second heartbreaking affair with a married man, never thinking that it might be breaking the hearts of their wives, mm-hmm. because right. who cares about that? It's me and my needs and me, and I'm so unhappy, and I'm not getting the whole loaf. I'm settling right. for crumbs, and what's wrong with me? And I was sent to therapy by someone who cared about me. She said, "Run, do not walk to therapy because this is not acceptable behavior. I went, huh? Right. (laughs) But I did go to therapy, and at one point, the therapist said, have you ever read anything about sex and love addiction? Are you familiar with the concept of sex and love addiction? And when I started studying it and started talking to other people who were in recovery from sex and love addiction, I went, Oh my god. Right. That's me. I am intoxicated by infatuation. I have fantasy relations. I have relationships with people who are not having a relationship with me. Right. I have relationships that are 95% in my head. I'm always living in the past. Oh if only I had if he had we I could have I should have or in the future. Oh this is going to be and that's going to be and oh, and it just every aspect of the disease of addiction and I came to learn that it is chemically motivated and that it, it is an addiction exactly the same way that my cocaine addiction was an addiction it is it is a physical addiction and I became so aware of the craving to hear his voice mm-hmm. and how that was exactly like jonesing for a drug mm-hmm. and that Oh, that exhale when I heard that voice, that it was exactly like getting a thing, Mm -hmm. like inhaling a cigarette. Mm -hmm. Inhaling a cigarette when I was having a cigarette craving. That was exactly the physical feeling when I would hear his voice after stressing for I don't know how many hours that I hadn't heard from him. And... I started really seeing this as a, a physical addiction, mm-hmm. mental obsession, a mm-hmm. spiritual malady—the whole bit. It's exactly a cognate of any other substance addiction.
0: Mm-hmm. So I
1: started working on my own recovery, and I started getting some time and some actual recovery and a little bit of wisdom. And I would tell people stuff because I'm a busybody, mm-hmm. and people would say, "Ah." Oh, you should write about this. Mm-hmm. You really have to write about this. People, you know, so many people want to know more about this. So mm-hmm. I started writing the blog, Affection Deficit Disorder, mm-hmm. and then after about a year I was approached, do I want to write a book about mm-hmm. it? So I wrote the book, mm-hmm. Love Addict, Sex, Romance, and Other Dangerous mm-hmm. Drugs, because
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's what they are.
0: Well, so for listeners, how can they tell what is you know being excited you know i think a lot of people who don't have love addiction uh think a lot about the person that they like and get really excited when that when they hear that person's voice so how do they know whether or not it classifies as addiction and i know it's self-defined like self-diagnosed like i'm sure a lot of you know a lot there of there are
1: signs and symptoms right mm-hmm. Symptoms is the self diagnosed sign is what other people can see, mm-hmm. like yes, everybody's going to get buzzed on champagne too, right 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 but people are go- some people will pick up a cigarette every now and again, right when you are going out in the snow in your slippers to the seven eleven mm-hmm. to get a pack of cigarettes, or when you are you know saying i'm not going to have another drink, okay, maybe one more." And oh, waking up with a hangover again, right. And that whole sort of pounding on the bar—how did this happen one more right. time? Right. When you start seeing that behavior in your romantic life too, that—that's the difference. There's a difference between you know uh, having a crush on a guy and stalking him on the internet. There's right. a difference between checking someone's Facebook page. And obsessively looking at all of the connections of all of the women who have ever looked at his Facebook page. Right, right, right. And there's some behavior that's perfectly appropriate when you're 17 and totally inappropriate when you're 37.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so what are some other Are there
1: other signs? Oh, I have a list. Would okay, like, yeah, yeah. Would you like me to... I should have brought my, my bookmark one. Your cheat, your cheat I have, sheet. I have a cheat sheet one that tells me where... Um, where my different things are now see i think to me there are three kinds of sex and love addiction Mm -hmm. right there's your infatuation addict Mm -hmm. who loves that getting to know you oh i just love that first blush of it so intoxicating right then there's the relationship junkie Mm -hmm. which as i say is she's the punchline of the joke of what do you tell a woman with two black eyes nothing you already told her twice right
0: right (laughs) horrible
1: old joke but i not only know women like that i've been that woman yeah you know that the relationship that bonding that sense of uh, feeling that someone else is completing you that Mm -hmm. that you will die rather Mm -hmm. than be alone Mm -hmm. and sometimes you do die Mm -hmm. because you know domestic partners kill domestic partners Mm -hmm. all the time and then there's the, the sex addict that's into The pursuit and the ritual of pursuit and the pursuit of the orgasm. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So some of the signs Mm -hmm. I have, it's like, do you check his Facebook page before you check your Facebook page? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That is a sign. Um, Do you leave a second or third or fourth voicemail message when the first message has not been returned because... Maybe he didn't get it. Right. His phone may be broken. Your phone may be broken. Mm-hmm. Lost the phone. Phone's not charged. He's shy and needs encouragement. <laughs> Maybe you dialed wrong. Yeah. Maybe you forgot to leave your callback number. <laughs> Maybe he called and you missed it. Maybe the message got lost in the ether. Sometimes that can happen. It can happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Often more than once. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. Um, have you ever changed your route home to pass your love object's house mm-hmm. have you ever parked outside and waited to see if another woman comes in this works for both genders by the way feel right. free to flip gender yeah i just happen to be talking to a woman here yeah um do you know your lover's email password or uh, voicemail yeah pass- yeah <laughs> have you ever checked yeah your lover's email or voicemail not a good sign um And then little stuff like, uh, do you develop an instant fondness for a hobby or musical genre you found abhorrent only days earlier? I love to sail. Sailing is great. I get seasick, but never mind. Oh, no. I love to sail. Let me see. Does it hurt a little when you learn that any attractive person, even a person you don't actually know, has gotten married to someone who wasn't you? Yeah. I mean... George Clooney? Right, really? Right. Really? Right. I, I relate to that one. You never even gave me a chance. Yeah. But we could, you yeah. Um, do you, have you ever worked in a job that requires partial nudity? <laughs> Interesting, <laughs> yeah. Um, let me see. Um, how long is your life list of sex partners? If it hits the three figures, think about it. Uh, by the way, the fact that you keep a life list well, of I was sex partners say, is kind of a clue. Don't you think a lot of sex addicts probably don't? No, actually, I think a lot of sex addicts do. That's fascinating. I think they really like. Yes, I think they they grade them, <laughs> color code, stars, all that. Wow. Yes, and never want to be away from their phone. Always leave forwarding addresses because because he or she might be trying to find you. Mm-hmm. That perfect someone who's just gonna fill that deep existential hole and make it okay. Mm-hmm. The key to your lock. That right. person that's going to hug you so tight they're going to put all the broken pieces back together. Yeah. that person may be looking for you, yeah, and you have to be able to be found yeah yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> um, yes and then, oh yeah, then the other is of course, you really believe you can save that stripper, convict, biker, <laughs> serial philanderer, suicide survivor, mm-hmm. alcoholic mm-hmm. with the depth and purity it, of, of your, your love. love. Yeah. Yes what about
0: here's one that I do relate to. That, that I feel like could be added to the list is the sheer rage you feel when you're waiting to hear from someone and
1: it's a text from, like, your friend. Oh, it's that dis- the disappointment. Well, and there's the rage at the friend. <laughs> oh, how dare you. Yeah. Yes, how dare it be you I'm waiting to... Oh, I- yes, I totally get that. <sighs> Good one. Yeah, and that leaping for the phone, like, as I say, it's a pot boiling over for a stove. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would just, like, dive across a room to grab a ringing phone.
0: Yeah, but I, so I wonder if it's like, you know, the, uh, you know, the 20 questions for alcoholism. It's like, if you check, you know, six or more on at least list of signs, you are, if you check all of them, you know, you
1: may be, you are, whatever. I would say that. If you relate too much to more than a couple of them, you should look at it. Yeah, you should think about it. There are grown up lists that actual therapists conduct. Mine is, you know, done yours is in, way more fun. Yes, mine's done in a fun way. But for instance, I have passed over family, social, or career opportunities in favor of romantic or sexual ones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I consistently choose partners who are emotionally geographically or logistically unavailable. Mm -hmm. I often feel an instant connection to Mm -hmm. someone I have just met. Mm -hmm. I have hidden or lied about my romantic or sexual adventures from friends and family, Mm -hmm. fearing they wouldn't approve or understand. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid I will never find someone to love. I don't like to be alone. I use sex to hook prospective romantic partners. I mean, this is the more... You know, this is actually 25 questions, which are in my book, which I cribbed from actual professionals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm 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 a hobbyist in this area.
0: (laughs) But I mean, if you can speak to the masses in a way that they can understand, isn't that so much more helpful? Well, that's
1: kind of the idea. Yeah. I I bring a lot of anecdotal or what they call empirical evidence to the table. Experiential. Experiential. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So, I mean, I would love to also talk about, you know, drug addiction, alcoholism, nicotine addiction, all of it, you know, because you span, you span the whole. Spectrum with these, right?
1: I think the only program I don't qualify for is Gamblers Anonymous. Yeah, I d- just never wanted to spend the money. <laughs> yeah,
0: I know. I wonder, if DA and Gamblers Anonymous are, you know, that there's not yeah. a lot
1: of crossover. The I, Venn diagram, interesting, the two. Uh, because I don't really qualify for DA right. either. Okay, good, um, Yeah. I'm healthy around money, mm-hmm. perhaps the only area. Goodness knows why.
0: I feel like that, and I'm speaking. Out of turn, it's just purely my opinion. But while a lot of the diseases are genetically predisposed, and who knows, that's a whole other topic we can get into, but DA feels like it has so specifically to do with how you were raised, that you may not be born a debtor or whatever. But I feel like all my money issues and the money issues I I think that a lot of people I know have are about how their parents handled money, how they were taught about money.
1: Uh, yes, I think that that's a good notice, and I think it's i mean addiction is you know I have a pathological relationship to my own body chemistry, yeah. right I can be an adrenaline junkie people can can um dope themselves up on their own adrenaline with rage Mm -hmm. or they can dope themselves up on high risk sports, which, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I dive with sharks. I jump out of airplanes. Yeah, I'll do anything. Wow. I I love that stuff. Although as time has gone by and as my recovery has progressed, I'm a little less in love with that spike of adrenaline, like a little more mellow serotonin buzz, Mm -hmm. but I still have a pathological Mm -hmm. relationship to my own body chemistry. Money doesn't get me high. Mm -hmm. So I don't continue to pursue it. Not really. I always, uh, I always care about the value of something, mm-hmm. the durability of something. I've just, and that I think is because of how I was raised. Mm-hmm. But the fact that so someone else money gets them high, they're going to have issues around money. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, winning at the get. My mother was a gambling addict. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, but she would pursue that incredible, great feeling of winning at the roulette table to the gates of insanity and death. That. Got her so high she kept after it. Right. Other than, I I had cocaine. I didn't need yeah. roulette. <laughs> Cocaine's so much better than roulette. I mean, they're, they're both the, fairly expensive,
0: <laughs> you know. But, but for the years that cocaine works, it's like hitting black fourteen or whatever you want over and over and it's over again, true. and and it keeps you thin. Yeah, never kept me that thin. Well, because I did the bad Coke diet, which is to say that I would do it for a couple days and then I would eat everything in creation for ah, the next two days.
1: I no, the consistency
0: I just, helped, you know? Did oh, you yes. do it when you... Oh,
1: so- I, I weighed 103 pounds. Today, uh, I... That's not even healthy. No, I mean, it's, no it's totally not unhealthy. Yeah. No, I was five, six five foot, six inches yeah, tall, yeah. 103 pounds. I currently am at a healthy 135. Right. Okay, maybe a little more. Let's not quibble. Right. Maybe I could lose a little, but a healthy weight for my frame is 125 to 135. Yeah. 103 is, is Dachau. Do you have food issues? Um, I like to eat. hmm and so my food issue—my food issue—is a cultural issue. It's that I am extremely attractive for 1911. <laughs> I'm <Right. laughs> not that attractive for 2015. Oh, stop I'm it! A You're little, I'm a little. I'm. Thank you. I appreciate. that. I always like to hear that. But um, yes, we just happen to be in an era and in a town where it is considered a- appropriate to be considerably underweight. Yeah. And I'm, I like to eat too much to starve myself. Yeah. So that's my food issue. I am not willing to make the sacrifice required to appeal to the vanity I have.
0: Well, I would say that that's the opposite of a food issue. Okay. Right? If you're not willing to subscribe to the societal demands and you're willing to just, hey, this is how I'm going to be about it. I diagnose um, you as not a, not yeah. having food issues. Thank
1: you. I appreciate that. I do know that the, you know, the my part in it is um, I resent your societal demands. Right. Your, I resent your standards. Right, right. My part in the resentment, I don't want to eat less. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay, so when did you first do Coke? Let me see. It was uh, I made it through college without. It was right after I got out of college. So we're talking about the 1970s. We mm-hmm. still bought coke by the spoon. What? Yes, I've never still even heard bought of that. Coke by the spoon. That was a. Uh, let me see. It was fifty dollars worth at the time. So it would have been about half a gram, I would say. It's a big old spoon. Maybe it was a quarter gram. But cocaine was expensive in the 1970s. So, so wait a
0: second. The spoon was open.
1: No, no it was okay. physically a spoon. Okay, that's
0: what I was picturing. It was still in
1: a bindle. It was right. just called a spoon.
0: Okay, and so it was. I think a half at some gram point someone something. must have
1: measured it out with in actual measuring spoons. Yeah.
0: yeah so, um, and how much was a spoon? Fifty bucks. Jeez, I was buying it in the '90s for for that a gram.
1: Yes, it was expensive. Coke was expensive. It was rare. It was unusual. It was extremely elitist. And it was was a movie star better Coke, probably clean and good. I don't know. I don't know. When I sold it, we cut the hell out of it. So if you were buying from me, you weren't getting it clean. Right. I'll tell you that.
0: So okay. So how? When did you? How did you go from from doing it? Trying it, to doing it,
1: to selling it. Why becoming addicted to a man, of course. Oh, really? The, the one who blacked my eyes, the one who set me up as a, a topless dancer. Um, because I would bring more money into the house and I did everything he wanted for fear of losing him because, God forbid, you should lose a man. It made you an absolute failure and unwanted and Mm -hmm. undesirable and Mm -hmm. unlovable and alone and just couldn't possibly face that. So, right, I hooked up with my dealer Mm -hmm. and uh, ended up in the penitentiary. Talk about that.
0: I didn't know that till I read your Wikipedia this
1: morning. Uh, I know I clean up really well, don't you I? You sure do. I am. Yes, I'm an award winning author. I am in the Who's Who of American Women. Yeah, I, what a story! And yes, I graduated from the University of California at Santa Barbara and the California Institute for Women. <laughs> (laughs) And so, so how long did you go away for? It was really only about nine or 10 months in Mm -hmm. all. I was arrested for possession with intent to sell. Mm -hmm. We were arrested when we had ordered, (laughs) we had ordered a kilo of uh, hash from England Mm -hmm. and they sent it by mail Mm -hmm. because it was the Mm seventies and people just weren't thinking very straight. Everybody was really, really high.
0: But I know people who sent Coke by mail in the nineties.
1: Right, well, Stupid it, doesn't, people, it but doesn't smell as much as Yeah, true, does. true. So, yes, the dog sniffed, and this was international, right? Mm-hmm. So the dog sniffed it out at custom, and they delivered the package, and we accepted delivery of the package. This was me and my dope dealer husband. Mm-hmm. And we, oh, you married him? Oh, yes, of course. So, but well, you, he asked. You don't say no to someone who asks you to marry them. And so wait, I that, never figured that out, that you could say no to someone who asked you. How many times to, have you been married? Uh, three. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, technically fourth, but technically four, but the first one was annulled mm-hmm. and we never lived together or had an actual real, I don't think I know his middle name.
0: So that was pre drug dealing marriage? That was, yes. That okay. was,
1: that was at college. That was a, um, I, I don't need no stinking badges, teenage rebellion marriage. Okay. He needed American citizenship. Right. I said, oh, I'll marry him. What the heck? who Yeah. Cares? And you were dating him though. No. Oh, oh no, okay. I'd never met him. Oh my God. I, I met him once. Did you get good money? Uh, he was supposed to give me money, but he never did wow, okay, so yeah, I would do not count that, but um, so we won 't get ca- so then it 's three so you
0: and the husband so me
1: and the dope dealer, mm-hmm. so me and the dope dealer got busted, mm-hmm. and they found all kinds of drugs in the house mm-hmm. and he sweet, loyal, wanted to never marry your dope dealer because the first thing he said was they 're hers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of course. And uh, so trial, and I didn't want my, everybody said, separate your case from his. He's not out. He's only dragging you down. And I said, oh, no, we're in love. You don't understand. We're in love. Oh, right. We're married. This is my, we had been married for nine days, by the way. Um, and I never saw him again. After nine days of marriage, I never saw him again uh, because they sent us to separate institutions. He went to uh, Tracy. I went to CIW. Mm-hmm. I'm like 19 years old at the time or something. I'm just still just... So gra- you were in
0: college, or you I graduated, graduated or
1: early. I graduated young. Was yeah. very, I was very smart and very stupid yeah, at the yeah, same yeah. time. Um, and they sent us to different institutions, and they, the state of California... Um, confiscated the letters that we wrote to one another because we were considered crime partners Mm -hmm. and they don't let crime partners correspond with one another. I didn't know that. I thought he had abandoned me, wasn't writing me, didn't love me anymore. And thank God, because if I had actually gotten all of his manipulative drug dealer, I love you, precious baby letters, I probably would have stayed with him Mm -hmm. and i would be dead by now Mm -hmm. so they didn't let us communicate with each other i did six months and uh um the observation mm-hmm. they, they put you in for nine yeah it was 90 days they put me in for 90 days in the penitentiary to see if i was penitentiary material or because it was a first offense and i was so young mm-hmm. if they were going to let it go as a less of a crime and i ended up being sentenced to um a year in civil brand a year in county jail mm-hmm. and actually i think most people would rather do three years in the penitentiary than a year in civil brand because It was a hole. I mean, it was the black hole of Calcutta at the time. I really? think the city got sued for the conditions there and finally tore it down decades ago. What was it like? Um, it was gray concrete. You wore a denim shift and shower sandals, flip-flops. Uh-huh. Um, you you know, everything was open. Showers were open. Toilets were open. You were being viewed by the guards at all times. You weren't allowed to touch anyone. Physical contact mm-hmm. was against the rules. So, that, So you were all, you know, starving babies, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there was... Um, the food was diabolical, as you can imagine. You, uh, most people had to work in the kitchen. I had to work in the kitchen. One, one day I remember dropping the huge, big pan of mashed potatoes and being given a dustpan and a broom to sweep them back up, put them back in the pan, and serve them yeah. to the inmates. Okay. Um, you never saw the sun. You had one hour a week when you were able to go outside, but usually there weren't enough guards to let anyone out, so you didn't get your hour outside. So everyone's skin turned to oatmeal because of the bad food and the lack of sun. You weren't allowed any cosmetics or to do anything with your hair because that was considered changing your appearance and a precursor to an attempted escape. So you had all of these women overcrowded, starved for uh, any kind of human contact, given no privacy, herded essentially like animals, fed crap, um, worked fairly hard, <laughs> and they weren 't even allowed to you know b- b- curl their hair mm-hmm. um, the The things that the women did to amuse themselves were i 'll always remember we would make false eyelashes out we would pluck hairs out and take thread and make little make-believe false eyelashes we had no actual way to attach to our faces but just the idea of creating false eyelashes was yes it was like a a little wedding trousseau for these these convicts all wearing ill-fitting faded denim shifts shapeless shifts and shower sandals it was the most demoralizing the absolutely most demoralizing situation and when I got out of jail, you, you know, I said, I am never, ever going to do drugs again. I yeah. am never, oh, I would never, ever risk being put back in that situation again. Okay, but you were maybe. not put
0: in that situation again.
1: I was never put back in jail, but I sure as heck went Didn't back to did stick with that. Went back to it. was like, I could never, ever do drugs. Okay, maybe just a line.
0: <laughs> so how long did that last from I could never to the line? Um,
1: mm, probably about six or seven years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you were completely clean? No, I didn't know anything about program. I didn't know anything about abstinence. I just knew that I shouldn't do any illegal drugs because I didn't want to get arrested again. So I was scared straight in the way that they thought back then that mm-hmm. this was supposed to work. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to just put the fear of God in everybody, and they'll straighten up and fly right and They'll just right. say no. And so I still drank. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. I had no idea that there was a, a disease called alcoholism, mm-hmm. and that one of the ways it manifested itself was in drug use. Mm-hmm. Um, so I still drank. I still. I still, shagged everything in sight mm-hmm. because that felt good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I still uh, married another man, um, whom I. Let me see. I was on a date with one guy when I met this guy. Mm -hmm. The second that the guy that I met on the date came home with me that night Mm -hmm. and never left for eight years. Wow. So that was my second marriage.
0: Was that a good marriage? Yeah, it was
1: a pretty, it was pretty good. All things considered. Mm -hmm. You know, it was pretty good. All things considered when we uh, have a fabulous son. I know him. Ah, he's I the me- best, And such a sweetheart, him? yeah. He and his wife and my new little grandbaby were staying with me for the holidays. Uh-huh. My uh, son lets me say that he has about 13 years, I think, in Al-Anon. Yeah. Wonderful recovery. He met his wife in the rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, we both don't smoke together.
0: I know. That's how I knew him,
1: from uh, quitting smoking. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the best. So he. So I would never undo that marriage because it it produced that amazing boy Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. pretty much despite my best efforts i Mm -hmm. think although i did get clean and sober when he was 10 Mm -hmm. so from the age of 10 on he's had pretty darn consistent environment
0: and how how long are you sober then
1: i'll be 27 in march wow
0: and how long are you sober
1: uh from sex and love About 15 years, Mm -hmm. but I don't count days in that program because my essential bottom line, bottom line being a self determined. Abstinence, Because mm-hmm. like with food addiction, with love addiction, you, you have to love, yeah. right? You have to eat. So you have to define some sort of abstinent behavior that works mm-hmm. for you. So at first, my abstinent behavior was, you know, don't sleep with married men. Mm-hmm. Don't have sex with someone on the first date. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't call guys unless they've called me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as time's gone on, my sort of bottom line now is... Um, to stay be in the present mm-hmm. no fan, no no fantasizing no going back over the past or no projecting about the future mm-hmm. and that's pretty much impossible to do on consist perfectly on a daily basis right right but i'm pretty good at noticing it mm-hmm. when my little old balloon starts you know my little brain balloon mm-hmm. starts flying off into the oh he's i wonder if he's and could we and what, what would i as soon as i start going mm-hmm. there i go like okay let's pull let's Pull it back, Ethelie, right. pull it back. Right, right. So,
0: and so you're, so does that mean the first bottom lines you don't have to subscribe to or you added to the bottom I lines? added to okay. the bottom okay. lines. Okay, okay, yeah.
1: And yeah, I have not, I have not had sex with a married man for more than 15 years. That's something. That, <laughs> one shouldn't have to be proud of that. <laughs> one should not, but that's
0: something. You know, I, um, you know, I, I went through that. Once and it was so painful that I will, and for me, not again, didn't really think about the wife. Right. Uh, but I would, n- I feel like I would never
1: do it again.
0: But you know, ne- no, I mean, I, n- I never would. It was a while ago. But God,
1: you know, it's amazing how seductive that was. Oh, married men are the best. Jesus. For one, we, we love addicts. I'm going to include you just out of courtesy. I'm not saying: uh, yeah you are. I was very just- happy not to relate to most of the signs. I'll tell you that. So to, the ge- to the general public. We love addicts. Yeah. Um, we tend to um, want mm, we want to enmesh, but we don't really want to be intimate. We're right. really afraid of deep intimacy because we tend to have all this self-loathing stuff mm-hmm. all churning away inside, mm-hmm. so it's like, come close, come close, come close, not that close. Well, right, yeah. and so married men are great, yeah, because you never have to worry about them actually marrying you, right? Right, right. you never have to really show up for the tough stuff. You get all the fun stuff. You had all the lingerie and champagne and, and chocolates. Right. You don't have to pay the bills or change the diapers. Right. This is good. <laughs> so, and isn't it sort
0: of the inverse? I mean, isn't the avoidance part just an inverse of oh, the love absolutely. part? Absolutely. You know,
1: do you, absolutely. so what, what do you think of the Pia Melody books? I think that she doesn't really express as she may get it but she mm-hmm. not, I don't see in her books a real understanding that it's all the same person that there isn't this love avoidant usually a man yeah. who is desperately trying to shake you off his ankle right. as he's trying to leave the room and that there's a woman clutching someone's ankle because she's so desperately codependent right. I think that when you get tired of Clutching someone's ankle. After a while, you get up, you stride out of the room, you find someone to go mindlessly bang, right. and then when they glom onto your ankle, you go woohoo! Now I'm having fun. Yeah. So I think that they're absolute flip sides of the same yeah. coin.
0: Yeah. I mean, I read the, I read the Facing Love Addiction a long time ago, but and all I remember is
1: that there were love addicts and avoidance addicts, yeah. and, and I think they're usually the same person. it's
0: yeah, Interesting. That's yeah. interesting. I mean, I applied it to my parents who are who are actually... Well, whatever. They're, you know, doesn't matter. But I saw both of them as extremes of
1: each side of the Uh coin. So, you know, obviously there are always exceptions to any rule. Absolutely. Um, But, sorry. I think it also goes in phases. And one thing that I did appreciate about Pia Melody's insights is that she sees them as these sort of two wheels with cogs turning Mm -hmm. of the love addict and the love avoidant. They're each going through the phases of addiction and Mm -hmm. avoidance and that they generally just mesh and then don't mesh Mm -hmm. so that someone is pursuing, the other person is running away, then the other person stops and starts pursuing and Mm -hmm. the other person starts running away. Mm -hmm. But somewhere in the middle there, they just enmesh so much that it seems like soulmates, Mm -hmm. until someone starts turning around and running Mm -hmm. because love addicts and love avoidance in the end really just aren't willing to have a deep spiritual intimate connection because they're terrified because we're terrified
0: do you and do you believe that recovery changes that
1: absolutely Uh uh-huh yeah. You learn self-acceptance and self-love. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, you have to stop doing things that hurt other people. It's amazing how bad that is for yourself, yeah. self-worth, yeah. you know? Yeah. Just like, oh, I was stealing this child's time from his father right. because I needed him so badly to be with me. Right. never occurred to me that I was stealing time from a child or from a wife or from a family or that I was damaging a household. That You know, that... that um, that by being with an, I, I loved younger men, loved younger men. Mm-hmm. Um, possibly not to their, you know, possibly to their detriment. Mm-hmm. Pro- not probably not. Yeah, <laughs> you I'm know, probably, probably them, they yeah. were fine. But um, you know, did I take? Did I steal? Time and energy that they should have spent finding an appropriate partner. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, did I hurt someone? Well, but that's sort of on them. Don't and you that, think? and that's me. I'm, I'm pretty. I'm not that bad with my record of wreckage. Mm-hmm. But how many women do you know that have torched guys' cars, mm-hmm. cut up their wardrobe? <laughs> I, know, I might be, kill, boil their
0: bunny. <laughs> I might be the only person I know who has not checked an, a boyfriend's email. I I feel like I know women who don't seem to have any addiction issues. And so still do that. that? Yeah. I've been shocked when people have shared that with me and sort well, of casually. They
1: may not have addiction issues but they definitely have some boundary trust. issues. Yeah, trust. Yeah, trust evidence. issues and boundary issues. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Do Okay, so what was your bottom with both drugs and alcohol and sex and love? Well, oh, we know sex and love because
1: it happened yes. in a rehab, <laughs>
0: right. where you were an impatient, but in a
1: rehab nonetheless. Yeah, but there were many, there there were many bottoms. There were times when I th- so many people go to twelve step programs for recovery from, especially love addiction, just to get healthy enough so they can have a relationship. Mm-hmm. You'd be, um, and it's just like the the fact that that is totally contradictory never occurs to anyone. <laughs> right, it's like I'm I'm going to recover from my need for a relationship to make me okay. Just enough to get a relationship and make me okay. Right. But um, there are so many people that get some recovery. They get a sense of their um, patterns. Mm -hmm. They write some inventory, get a sense of their patterns, and they stop acting out on some of the gross motor defects, you might say. And they get a little bit of time, and then they go out, and they get in a relationship that is certainly way more healthy than the last four relationships. And then they stop coming to meetings, and mm-hmm. then the, it it creeps up and it creeps up. So um, my recovery has been... I, I don't leave recovery just because I'm in a good place. I stay in recovery yeah. because I think I need to be vigilant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I need to be vigilant with drugs and with alcohol mm-hmm. and with love addiction. So in my 15 years... Um, a recovery from, from that stuff. I have been married and I have been divorced. Mm-hmm. And the amazing thing was that I realized I knew before I got married that it wasn't going to fix me. Mm-hmm. And I knew when we decided mutually to separate that it wasn't going to kill me. Right. And that was huge. Mm-hmm. So um, but I still had a lot of sadness over it, and I had to work on that. Mm-hmm. I've had early in the first, oh, five years or so of recovery, I definitely just tried swimming in the deep end too soon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought, mm-hmm. I thought oh, I'm, I've got it. now. I've got it now. We, I can do this now and just crawl, oh, just just. Crawled back into the room, going like, "Oh, yeah. it hurts! It hurts!" I just never want to be curled up on the floor in fetal position like yeah. that again. Yeah, and you know what that's like. Uh, but I, yeah, oh, um, I know the fetal. Position I was talking to, to She's talking to you yeah. guys,
0: but I know the fetal <laughs> position. Trust me, I don't think anyone who gets sober doesn't know the fetal position. Mm-hmm. The like, how did, you know, I can't take it Mm -hmm. do. Oh, what about, so this is something that I, so the nicotine one, I, you know, found that recovery in 12 step, in a 12 step specific nicotine program Mm -hmm. went, no, I wouldn't have been able to quit without it. No, never smoked after my first meeting. And, and yet I'll, and I don't, I haven't been in, uh, Nine years? No. uh, I haven't been in 12 years. Mm,
1: Fantastic.
0: Have no desire to smoke. And sometimes I'll see people from that program and they'll say to me, you know, you better come
1: back if you don't want to smoke. I think it is one of the programs that people are... Have the best chance of staying abstinent even without going to meetings mm-hmm. I mean, that 's been my experience. I can go a year between meetings mm-hmm. in that program and and still maintain abstinence off nicotine because my experience was that after about six or seven months, the very smell. Of Repulse tobacco, yeah. it's just absolutely repulsive. Yeah. And just smelling it on people's hair. But I can smell someone smoking across the street. Yeah. And I, it just makes me want to gag. So yeah. the odds of my actually smoking again, I think, really low with or without uh, participation in 12 step programs. I try to participate. Because that's working the 12-step. Someone yeah. needs to be there to keep the lights on for the new person. Yeah. Someone needs to be there to, to spread the message. I do a piss-poor job of it in that particular 12-step group. Mm-hmm. But um, I still try to... I still am grateful for it publicly a lot. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I would have been able to make it those first six or seven months. The It was just... I, I was just so raw. I mean, how I decided to stop smoking was when I... Uh, Celebrated when I took a cake for my first year mm-hmm. of abstinence off drugs and alcohol, I was, uh, the feelings, my, my then 11-year-old son, maybe he was even still 10, uh, my little son, my little knee-high son, who's now a big man, mm-hmm. my little knee-high son gave me my first cake. Mm. And he said he was so proud of me. And I just like, I well, I just welled up with so much emotion. It's like my body couldn't, Contain them all. My Mm -hmm. body could not contain all the joy and the gratitude and the regret and the sorrow and the just everything. And it was just too big for me. And I had to go outside and smoke a cigarette. Mm -hmm. And I felt all that emotion just come down. I felt it was like putting the lid on a pressure cooker. Mm -hmm. I just felt it all come down. And in that moment, I just decided I don't want to block off these feelings anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do not want to use. Nicotine as a way to... All my life, I've been using... Well, mm-hmm. I mean, since I was a teenager, I've mm-hmm. been using nicotine to block the pain. Mm-hmm. But of course, it was also blocking the joy. And in that moment, I was no longer willing to block the joy. Right. So I made a decision that I was going to quit smoking, and it took me a year of of prayer and meetings and writing an inventory and changing behavior and doing a million things and then uh, right after my two year um, anniversary I stopped smoking. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I you know I always thought that it was interesting that you know using nicotine to block emotions because for me his poor help you know as opposed to say cocaine which for a couple of years oh, really yeah. blocked it. as opposed <laughs> oh, to yeah. work, by the way, which is the most effective tool I know for blocking emotions. Nicotine, I would smoke and they
1: really wouldn't even be blocked. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, they help nicotine is it's a nice anesthetic. You know, it's a nice anesthetic. It just gives a little bit of a puffy. It just gives a little bit of a puffy cloud. It just mm-hmm. lets, you, lets me see things through a little bit of a scrim. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, it just sort of dulls the edges of stuff a little bit. Mm-hmm. I remember, well, Carrie White is the one.
0: She's a previous podcast guest. Everybody mm-hmm. knows that she's a big quit smoking she's, advocate. She sponsors me. In, in, uh, oh, she does. Yeah. She was my sponsor back when I did it. Yeah. Um, but she literally like 12 stepped me in the scene anonymous. And I, the day after I met her, I met her at that meeting mm-hmm. and I never smoked again. So like she put a spell on me. That's what I think. <laughs> she's, she's capable of
1: that. She's she a very really powerful is. woman. <laughs> she really is.
0: But I remember what she said to me. One of the things she said to me that got me to go to the meeting was, you know, you're putting a smoke screen between you and God. Right. And like, if you got, just developed a spiritual program. Why would you want to do that?
1: (laughs) Okay, here's one of my favorite married lovers. um, I was quitting smoking, Mm -hmm. and uh, he said, why am I quitting smoking? And I said, well, I know this may sound a little new-agey wimpy, but I'm actually quitting smoking to get closer to God. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, don't be silly. God smokes. (laughs) See, how can you not love that man? <laughs> yes, yeah,
0: seriously. Seriously. Full of, full of great ideas and wisdom and all of and that. And very funny. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, who isn't a sucker for the humor? Right. You know? More this important Jessica than... a Rabbit. Been, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and in terms of the bottom with drugs and alcohol, what mm-hmm. was that?
1: Um... Let me see. Ah, okay. I was um, living with and therefore addicted to and therefore terrified of being left by a man who just happened not to drink and use. Mm-hmm. He was a hot rock and roll guitar player and he just happened mm-hmm. not to drink or use. He wasn't sober in a program. He mm-hmm. just didn't think that drugs and alcohol were a good idea. Mm-hmm. Go figure. That's so weird. And, those yes, people. I know. He but I know into, tons of them now. He was into physical health yeah. and, you know, as uh, early adopter of the gym movement mm-hmm. and just like um, and so I had to hide my using from him mm-hmm. and I kept promising him that I wasn't doing it anymore I was in the rock, rock and roll world I was a rock and roll journalist, mm-hmm. I was the editor of Rock Magazine, I mm-hmm. was a concert reviewer for yes. Billboard, I was a correspondent for for E! e- uh, for E, yeah, that that was a little later, but yeah, for E, for Daily Variety, for Hollywood Reporter, for... Mm-hmm. I mean, I was doing the whole... I was living the whole rock and roll life, and there was enormous access to cocaine, and it was a status symbol, and I really liked it, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I needed to stay thin, so... Um, I would keep lying, and I would keep saying, oh, I'm not doing it anymore, and then I would lock myself in my own bathroom at 3 in the morning mm-hmm. and start doing lines, and the inside of my nose would hurt so much I was going to cry out in pain, and that would wake him so I couldn't. So I would like do a line and then jam an ice cube up my mm-hmm. nose to mm-hmm. numb the pain so mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have to cry out, and, and, it, and it didn't even occur to me. <laughs> It didn't even occur to me that this was not partying behavior. Right. It was way... I, I couldn't party because I couldn't do it in public because mm-hmm. then he'd find out. So, uh, and if, you know, if you really knew me, you would leave me. And if you leave me, I will die. Mm-hmm. You know, the basic equilibrium of mm-hmm. the crazy love addict. And um, and he, got, he caught me. He caught me one more time after I had sworn on a stack of whatever's that uh, I wasn't going to do it anymore and he said uh, you know i'm gonna leave if you don't stop i'm gonna leave and Mm -hmm. so i called the number in the back of the la weekly that said do you have a problem with cocaine Mm -hmm. call this number and I thought I was going to get a shot. Right. I was going to be in a nice medical experiment. I thought maybe there was a class. I was right. hoping for a shot. Yeah, shot yeah. would be good because they're fast. Yeah. Pills, pills are okay. Give me a prescription for something that's going to make me stop craving cocaine. Because somehow every morning that I said I'm not going to call the dealer, I'm not going to call the dealer, I still called the dealer. Mm-hmm. And uh, but with the threat of losing love mm-hmm. was the only thing that was enough mm-hmm. uh, to get me to actually walk into what turned out to be a twelve-step meeting.
0: Mm-hmm. That was advertised in the back of the weekly. There used
1: to be a classified ad in the back of the wow. weekly. It d- it didn't say who it just said do you have a problem with cocaine call this number. Just as I've seen for years and not known what they were, alcoholics anonymous advertised in the back of newspapers that said is you know is drinking a problem with your life call this number.
0: I never knew that. I never I always think I assume with the like especially with the weekly things
1: that they're like you know, private, scammy yeah. kind of will Mo- cure you. Many of them probably are. And I think that's what I thought it was. And I think that's what I wanted <laughs> it to be. Yeah. That's what I wanted it to be. Right. I wanted it to be, you know, chic shade elf, you know, yeah. 10 days and you're done. Yeah. I, say, I wanted a shot. I, yeah. wanted a, I wanted a drug to cure my drug addiction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lots of people do. Yeah. And, uh, and I ended up in 12 step meetings, but yes, that, it was a teeny little classified. It was there. I remember I had torn it out and had it in my wallet for, weeks perhaps months and Mm -hmm. it it was the hotline of a a 12-step program Mm -hmm. and i called and they said you never have to feel this way again if you don't want to Mm -hmm. and you know i I went to one of those those awful meetings Mm -hmm. that i always thought was just going to be a bunch of winos yeah. yeah wine winos in uh in stained raincoats in the basement of a church Uh, Mm -hmm. the basement of the church part was right (laughs) and uh, it was you know in the first meeting i ever walked into happened to be south of pico so i was one of the only white faces Mm -hmm. in the meeting and i thought oh yeah that's yeah oh yeah they're all they're all drug addicts um but there was just you know i mean any anybody who's ever walked into a 12-step meeting for the first time knows that there's a sense of the wind ain't whistling through these people the way the wind whistles through me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I want what you have. Tell me how you got it. Mm -hmm. Right, right from the beginning. I didn't think it had anything to do with my little cocaine problem. Right. Um, It was months before I stopped using um, Xanax. Love Xanax. Mm -hmm. That's great for taking the edge off. Mm -hmm. Um, Xanax. Xanax. occasional cocktail at a business meeting, mm-hmm. you know, because how can you, 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 what, are you going to be a wuss? Yeah, yeah, You're gonna yeah. You're going to say no when the drink order comes around? By the way, I discovered that no one gives a shit. <laughs> yeah,
0: they really don't. They're just really, thinking about themselves. Really, just don't yeah. notice. Uh,
1: no one notices. Um, so it took a while before I decided to do it the way it was suggested. Mm-hmm. But right from the gate, it was like there is just a warmth and an acceptance among these people that... It was just a mystery to me. I didn't have it in my family. Yeah, I didn't have it among my, you know, social circles. Mm-hmm. It was like, ah. Oh. You know what I was thinking about today randomly? Did you ever see that movie?
0: If, it, I might be called Happy. It's like a, it's on Netflix. It's not a full length movie where it's about. Or have you ever heard of there's like this this part of Japan where. I'm totally getting this wrong, where the people are the healthiest, uh, like the people live to be 104, like the average like, age range. Wow. And they, they, they go there and they explain, they interview the people and they figure out why. And one of the main things is that they have a, a really active community, like they are communal. They're constantly supporting and interacting with each other in a way that in society today we don't. And in 12 step, we do. Yes,
1: I think so. And I think that you can go, you can do a whole biochemical read on it too if you want, because it reduces stress and stress increases cortisol and cortisol promotes so many horrible health effects. And you know, there's just such, there's so much evidence for the advantages of community uh, and for meditation. Mm-hmm. I mean, the things that were. Uh, whether you want to say divinely inspired or just accidentally hit upon Mm -hmm. by the originators of the the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, brought in everything that we've come to understand in a multimodal treatment of addiction and Mm -hmm. dysfunction. That uh, meditation, which rewires the brain Mm -hmm. and uh, um, addresses the genetic and physiological component, community, which addresses the loneliness and the uh, psychological component and helps Mm -hmm. break the obsession because Mm -hmm. you can't really... You kind of have to be alone to really obsess good. Mm-hmm. Obsessing can't be done effectively in a group. <laughs> well, know? I wonder, though. You can be in a group and, you know, be off on your own You mentally. can, but somehow they keep interrupting you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, You're always asked to participate, and it breaks your whole train of thought. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: true. It's true. It's kind of like, well, sort of like doing cocaine with a group of people who keep talking. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> it's <was> so <laughs> awful. Sorry,
1: I just had a flashback. That's terrible. Yeah,
0: I know. It was, it, was, it was what, you know, I think it inspires many of us to do cocaine alone.
1: Oh, yeah. I would be just like, can I just have a doggy bag and I'll just. Yeah.
0: Did you, did you just, go just go sn- the snort bathroom. the cocaine? By I snorted, cocaine, yeah, yeah, yeah. I never,
1: I was not around uh, for the, you know, Freebase was a extremely expensive elitist thing that I was never exposed to, and crack hadn't come around yet. So mm-hmm. I just got in that little powder window there. hmm. Lucky. Uh,
0: Yes. And so this whole time, but mostly in recovery, you've been publishing all these books. So we decided, you told me nine books, I counted 11.
1: Okay. I think one might be a duplicate because Patently Female, which was the... um, Sequel to Mothers of Invention, which mm-hmm. is a book I co-wrote with Greg Potasik about women inventors, mm-hmm. which is a really terrific book mm-hmm. and, and I'm actually proud of. Mm-hmm. And Patently Female was its sequel. Well, it was sold to one publisher who went belly up, mm-hmm. and so it was resold to a second publisher. So I right. think it it may appear twice. I got it. But got even it. so, you're still up to 10 and yeah, of 9. Yeah, so I mean – you know, yeah, yeah, that's what I nice do for a living. Time. That's what I do for I write television and film is mm-hmm. where I make money, mm-hmm. uh, but they don't let me do it that often. And mm-hmm. then I write books because mm-hmm. uh, I can.
0: And when did you publish your first one? Um,
1: around 1984, probably. And when did you get somewhere? What year? 1988. So have, so. how much has
0: sobriety helped your career?
1: That's interesting because at first I could not write at all. Mm -hmm. My first year or so of sobriety, I was absolutely blocked. Mm -hmm. Um, I came face to face with the fear Mm -hmm. that I had been, you know, subsuming into drugs and alcohol Mm -hmm. and behaviors and everything else it was all of a sudden that voice that said you don't know how to do this you've never known how to do this or maybe you did know how once but you forgot or you ran out of stuff the well is empty you don't Mm -hmm. have anything else to say Mm -hmm. all of those fears that rattle around in the head of probably every creative person um, just like the volume got cranked up to 11 and I was uh, paralyzed I was Mm -hmm. paralyzed also I was doing a lot of criticism I was working as a music critic Mm -hmm. and so a lot of what what I was beloved for was being incredibly snarky, mm-hmm. and again, you start looking at the effect you have in the world when mm-hmm. you start working in recovery and start doing inventory. And I was realizing that I was being really mean, yeah, really, really mean to people who had tried very hard right. for, to do something creative, right? And who was I to cut them? To, it was just re- I'm perfectly mean again. By the way, I mean, I understand the difference between humor and mean spiritedness. And I can still be snarky and I can still be negative without, I think, being a, essentially a mean person.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're different. I don't, for me, I made a conscious decision to stop doing that once I started reading book reviews of my own. Right.
1: <laughs> no, I'm never going to make anyone else feel the way yeah. they just made me feel. because yeah. I don't think that I consciously
0: realized that these were actual human beings.
1: Is exactly the same experience Yeah, yeah.
0: And, then, and then, you know, and even on Twitter, I think when Twitter first started, I would sort of be snarky. And then it's just like I made a decision. Well, and it's also, you know, just that thing, you know, deep meditators will talk about how, you know, and even in program we talk about how resenting another person, we're all, I'm you, you're me, you know. so So my having a problem with somebody who's irritating me, which happens on a daily if not hourly basis mm-hmm. with me, It's me having a problem with me. Like, if I can't show compassion, if I can't find love for that person who just drove me crazy, I can't find it for myself. We're all the same, you know? And we've all done the same things. Yeah, but like, but like, I never really got that criticizing other people is criticizing myself,
1: you know, is, is just
0: perpetuating that darkness in my heart or whatever,
1: You know what I mean? I do. I do. I totally get it. And it paralyzed me for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I started writing reviews that just were sweetness and light and rainbows and unicorns. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that wasn't very helpful to the publication. So I wasn't writing much at all. And then um, uh, what what did happen? Oh, you know what? This is interesting. Uh, In a way, I was always a journalist. I always wrote nonfiction Mm -hmm. because I wasn't. Uh, I I think maybe I didn't pay enough attention to people to really be able to develop characters very well. Didn't develop rounded, three-dimensional characters because I never really paid any attention to what other people on the planet were saying. When mm-hmm. you were in that room full of, you know, cokeheads mm-hmm. ramb- rattling on, it's just it's yeah. not going very deep. You're not no. really getting much. So um once I started listening to people share and being forced to shut up and listen to people share because mm-hmm. that's the blueprint, that's mm-hmm. the format. And especially after I quit smoking, mm-hmm. it really made a huge difference. After I quit smoking, I was able to access more resources And um, more compassion for and sense of other people. And I started, I think, the first. Screenplay I ever wrote was for the uh, the annual show, in house show for the twelve uh, step program. It was a humor show. It was a humor musical thing. What do you mean that twelve step was putting on? Yes. Oh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I was called upon. It. I was, do you write. Come write the show this yeah. year. And so um, it was performed, and people laughed and had a good time, and mm-hmm. I had a great time writing it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, this is a whole. And I started writing screenplays, mm-hmm. and. Um, and someone saw some of my work and said, you're really smart and really good. Mm-hmm. Would you like to come and, you know, pitch ideas to my television show? And I said, you have a television show? Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, I've got a television You never know who you're going to run into. And um, and I started learning about that and I, and I started writing for television mm-hmm. and found that I had Uh, what everybody says is Ethel you've got such a great ear Mm -hmm. I'm I'm considered Mm -hmm. the the dialogue queen Mm -hmm. I'm the person that can come along and make people talk like people talk and I think a really big part of that is I listen to real people talk Mm -hmm. a lot Mm -hmm. and not everyone has that privilege Mm -hmm. or opportunity I've heard great stories that people tell about themselves and I've heard people talk about how they feel about stuff and, and I hear them speak in their own patois and region and idiosyncratic quirks of Mm -hmm. and I'm able to put that on the page Mm -hmm. so it's an absolute gift and it's Mm -hmm. meant a whole other career for me Mm -hmm. as a writer Mm
0: -hmm. well I, I mean and so this is a good note to end on as we wrap up is there anything else that you want to tell people out there that you want to talk about yourself Uh, We'll put a link to where they can get your book and read your blog. And uh, what else? Is there anything else you want them to know?
1: Well, we were talking earlier about how hard it is to get other people to ask us questions. You think it would be easier. And so what I would say is if I I have said anything that has um, caused you to come up with a question ask me yeah i like to interact with people right you know write to the blog it's affection deficit com. write to the blog ask questions there's a facebook page for the book love addict book there's Mm -hmm. a twitter feed for the book but the main thing is i can't think of everything you might want to know about me or Mm -hmm. about addiction or about recovery so ask um what what didn't we talk about i am um i don't know i am <sighs> Uh, still an incredibly flawed person it's mm-hmm. funny I was uh, I don't like to hold, I, I say that I, I serve best as a bad example mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I do not want to hold myself up as a model mm-hmm. of anything what I have is a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge of what doesn't work yeah. I'm really good at telling you what doesn't work like I tried that it doesn't work I have gone down just about every dead end you can possibly go down and can tell you what's down there it's a brick wall, yeah. Um, because yeah. you you know, it, you try everything. But I was giving uh, my sponsor a thirty-seven-year cake. If I'm not being too specific mm-hmm. about program stuff here, I don't wanna you want to However break anyone's anonymity. Certainly not my own. Um, I. I stay clean and sober. How I stay clean yeah. and sober, it isn't necessarily how you need to stay clean and sober. But so I was celebrating the an- 37th anniversary of my sponsor sobriety, um, and we were. Jo- and she was joking. She says, "And I'm still not well. Yeah. I'm better, yeah. <laughs> but I'm still not well. And I'm yeah, like, 'Yeah, you're right. You're not. <laughs> yeah, we're it's still. True. It's like it's- after 26 years.'" Um, you know, she used to joke. She, she would say, well, I, "I was hoping at least for some different character defects. Right, know? right. Is this gonna have some new character defects that are not quite as unacceptable to me as my original character?" defects? But they get better. You know, they, they... get well. They get. I get. Um, I get choices on how to act on them and how mm-hmm. to not act on them but have you have you
0: noticed too that one day working and working and working on them one day you're like oh my god i didn't have that reaction i didn't do that thing where sometimes all that asking and all that
1: trying it just there's a shift you're not asking you're not trying it's You've true. made the shift it's like well once a character defect no longer serves me it Evaporates, it's gone, yeah, you know. So it's like, what was it doing for me? What was the payoff? And when I really don't need that, when that deep need, when that hole, when that missing piece is no longer missing, and when I'm no longer reaching for that twisted survival thing Mm because I don't feel that I need it to survive, poof, it's gone. In the meantime, all I can do is change the actions, and then, Mm -hmm. like you say, I stopped acting on it, and then I stopped feeling it Mm -hmm. Mm because I think that first we stop. The bad behavior, and then suddenly the impetus that led us to do that just doesn't have anything to eat. Yeah, and it dies.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, and I, I also, I should add, feel the exact same way in terms of being a model. I never want anyone to think that, like, just because we're talking about this stuff, this means, like, you should do it this way, I've done it well, you know, it sort of is like, I don't know if do you, do you read Chuck Pal- Palinac, uh, uh-huh. he, yep. Ch- Choke is the only book of his I read, but the, like, line he always has is, like, what would Jesus not do? <laughs> <laughs> Those have been a lot of my choices. And, and so, you know, speaking from the experience of that, rather than speaking from the experience of, I know all, you know, I only know the mistakes I've made, right. You know, bouncing back from them, finding new ways. So, okay. So you have been a delight. I can't thank you enough for doing this. Thank you so much for asking me. And you're definitely going to be one of our experts. I figured out what you're going to do for us as we've been talking. Okay. It's exciting. So, you know, uh, Don't mean to leave it on a cliffhanger, guys, but you'll be seeing Ethley on the site. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So that was Ethelie and Bear on After Party Pod. Hope you liked it. If you're liking this podcast, please go and subscribe. It's so easy. Yes, a five-star review is wonderful, but so is just clicking subscribe. I mean, it's such a small thing. Who knew it could make such a big difference? It does. So thank you. Keep emailing. Love the email. See you next time.